Once upon a time when we were coloured and we thought the streets of Britain were covered with gold from the toil that will make your blood boil if you think too hard about it. I'm talking enslaved Africans, man, woman and child on the plantation, the sweat of their brows flowing like the rivers, the thought of it still gives me the shivers. We came over from Africa and the Caribbean after the Second World War to see what it was like in England, to walk in the next man's shoe on streets paved with gold, to see if it was just like we were being told that it was the land of milk and honey where every man could make a money and go back to their country of birth showing what they were worth with a sense of pride that the motherland embraced them and their children. Well, what a wonderful world it would have been, except it wasn't quite like they had dreamed. They met with hostility from the common man and nobility. Let's not forget that there were some positive white folks too, otherwise the history books would be somewhat skewed. But there was far too much hostility, far too much volatility, out on the streets in 1959, it ended in the murder of Kelso Cochrane, a 22-year-old man from Antigua who was killed for nothing at all by the gang of youths they called Teddy Boys. Out on the street, they call it murder. Out on the streets, they call it murder. Yeah, that was the thing about these hoodlums. They couldn't get enough of black music in their Notting Hill slums. They would rock around the clock all day long. It was rock, rock, rock. The music of Chuck Berry, Fats Domino and Little Richard was what they lived for. I'm talking black superstars. Because rock and roll ain't nothing but the rhythm and the blues. And in then times, even the record companies acknowledge its Negro roots. And when a few years earlier, Rock Around the Clock, the film came out, the Teddy Boys smashed up the cinema and broke out in fights. That's how much they liked to bop to our rock. Now, 60 years later, it's like, see you later, alligator. We've rocked right around the clock again with the movie called Blue Story. It's repeating that history. After a fight broke out in Birmingham, which they're blaming on the movie and what it's supposed to be saying. It wasn't even black youths, I think it's fair to say, but they're pulling the movie anyway. Should Blue Story be banned? I asked my longtime brethren, Sheldon, cause he's the man who's been dealing with gangs for some time now, through his organization, Gangs Line. Sheldon Thomas, should View Cinemas have banned Blue Story? Well, my view on why, what View Cinema did in banning the film Blue Story was ridiculous because I'm going to bring go back a bit for all the people, your audience may who may know this, may not know this. But in the 70s and 80s, we had a major problem with football hooligans in this country, a biggest problem, one of the biggest problems in Europe. And only Russia, Germany and Argentina, football hooligans matched what was happening here. And every football match for at least 25 years straight there was violence at most of football matches. People turning up deliberately to fight each other on the football terraces. This was before we had seating. And not once did anyone call for football to be banned. Not once did anyone call that we need to have a review of football matches. All they done was looked at how can they make football matches safer. That's what I think needs to, it should have happened here. View should have gone to somebody like me, 
who is an expert on gangs, especially on territorial. And I would have advised them about what to do in certain cinemas, because not every cinema you would need to increase security. That's what I would have done, but they didn't do that. They made a very rash um, decision based on a, a few incidents. And if we look at the incidents that happened, the question is, how comes none of the media showed the faces of any of these young people? But if it was a bunch of black kids, they would have shown the faces of these kids. Now, because these kids were Asian, none of their faces were shown. And I would question, why is it that when incident happened with other groups, other ethnic groups, that their faces are not shown, but when it's a black, um, uh, young black kids involved in gangs, their faces are shown. So I would question the media motives around that. I would question views motives. And I would have to agree with Ratman that this borders on a form of racism because if they knew where Ratman came from, he's a former gang member. I was one of his mentors back in the days when he was a young kid. This guy's turned his life around and decided that he wants to um, start doing things differently in his life by writing films, making music. Now, I'm not a fan of people who go around who everybody wants to be a rapper or everybody wants to be a drill artist. I'm not a fan of that. But what I am a fan of is a young man, a young black man saying, you know what, I want to tell my story my way. Because if we're to be honest, in this country, there's a problem when it comes to telling the stories of young black men or of our stories. We always have a white director or a right script writer telling our stories. Now, some people will be offended by this because they'll be like, oh, what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is this, black man's right. We're fed up of other groups um, writing stories about our, our, what's happening in our communities. We're fed up of government officials writing reports about what is happening in our communities. We want to tell everybody. We should be the ones telling. And I think Ratman did a fantastic um, um, storyline and script and so forth, which would inspire many young black men and women to say, you know what, if Ratman can write a film, so can I. And that's the bigger picture here. The bigger picture here is we should be encouraging more young people to be creative. And if it means Ratman comes out and he does that, that's what needs to happen. But if you're going to take that moment away from him and, 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 and make him feel that his film was the cause of the violence, is, is ludicrous. Because gang violence has been in this country when I was involved in the 70s and 80s. And it's got nothing to do with the film. So we've got to understand gang violence, knife crime, gun violence, shooting, drugs, county lines is a reflection of society, not a reflection of Blue Story, the film. You see, I can take it back um, a bit further. Not that I'm that old, but nevertheless, whereas you were talking about uh, gang violence amongst football fans in the 70s and 80s, I'd have gone back to the 1950s to a movie called Rock Around the Clock. And when that came over from the USA, the Teddy Boys, as they were known there, in those days, they kicked off at the cinemas, tore up the seats and fought and pulled out razors and slashed each other, etc. And that was never pulled. But 
it doesn't get away from the fact that this is a different time, a different era. There's a duty of care. There's a duty of care that cinemas have uh, to their guests that perhaps wasn't as profound if you go back 50 or 60 years ago. And also, it, it puts us in a dilemma, doesn't it? As, as black parents, are, are we to support a bad boy film that some people might argue well, it's another film showing the negativity of the black community and black youth. I mean, obviously there's going to be that dilemma, but we've got to understand the bigger picture here. The bigger picture is there's been films being made by other ethnic groups about the black community. That needs to stop, okay? What needs to happen is, yes, you're right, but you've got to understand how all of this begins. If you go into America, you know, um, the film Colours, the film uh, New Jack City, then Boys in Hood. Everything starts with those kind of films and move on. Now look at the films in America. They don't, the, all those black films don't talk about gang violence now. You start somewhere. You can't start in, 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 in big, uh, making some sci-fi movie that's going to cost 100 million. You start where you're at. And I would say this to any parent. Yes, you're right. It may seem to you that it's promoting gang violence. What it was doing was showing it from a different perspective. It was showing it from a black perspective, which does make a difference. And if if you looked at that film, you looked at that film, you wouldn't want to be a part of that lifestyle. You would look at that film and think, you know what? I don't I don't want to be a part of that. That just looks like madness. And I think that this young man should be given a chance um, in the sense of what he's trying to do, how he's trying to do it. If they look back at some of his other stuff, like Shira's story, it weren't all about violence. So he does try to mix a story into this, um, the, the film by showing you a love story, showing you two young men growing up. But these, we've got to face the facts of parents. This is what's happening. And these parents better wake up to the world that we're in. And I'll tell you why some of these parents are arguing. It's because they don't know who their kids' friends are. Most parents whose kids are involved in this lifestyle, whose kids have died in this lifestyle, most of them don't know who their friends are. If you ask any of those parents, did you know what your kid was doing on social media? The answer is no. Do you have the password? for your kid's social media site? No. Do you know who your kid's um, best friend is? No. Do you know who your kid's hanging out with? No. So most of these parents don't know who their friends are anyway. So what they have to do is they need to understand when you look at this movie, this will give you the reason why you must know um, your, your, your son or daughter's um, friends who they hang out with, what they're doing on social media, because this film shows you what happens when you don't know what your kid is up to. When you don't know what your kid is up to, if you saw that scene, there was a scene where the mum was crying her eyes out because her son was um, crippled, yeah? That's because the mum didn't know what her son was up to, had no clue. So you've got to understand that Yes, in one breath, some people are going to be disappointed that it's a movie about street gangs and do we want another movie? But in some breath, I think this is important that we need to ask ourselves, why don't we want to know the truth about what's happening in our community? Why does the black community want to blame everyone else for their problems rather than address it facing up 
to what their responsibility is. Because the fact is, in that movie, most of the kids in the, in the movie had no fathers. That is a reflection of us. And we've got to stop pretending that this is not a reflection of us. It is. What are we going to do about it? That's what Ratman's doing. He's showing you how mad this lifestyle is. And what we need to do is, is as parents, be more responsible. Start finding out who our children are hanging out with. Start finding out what our kids are getting up to on social media. Are they bullying other kids? Are they being bullied? Are they being groomed into gangs? Are they grooming people into gangs? These are the things we should be doing. Oh, and so that, we should be the policemen and women of our children's lives? Well, you have to be. You brought the child, the child into the world. Yeah, but we you, can't you, we can't police them night and day. We can't we can't follow no, them to school. No, we can't no, take no. their mobile phones from them and see no, who they're no. contacting. We can't we no, can't no, be policemen and women. You, you don't need to do that. That's not what I'm talking about, and that's the excuse we keep making. We keep saying, "Oh, we can't listen." You brought that child into the world, raised the child properly, and if you ain't gonna spend no time with your kid, then don't blame society for that. What we have to start doing as parents is you start them young. You don't do it when they're 15. You start them at two years old about um, what to look out for, how to, uh, what, what, is the, what is on social media, the effects of social media. You don't wait till the child's 13 and then you're going to start doing it. And that's where we fail. Listen, I've got kids of my own, so I know what I'm talking about. And I was a former gang member. I'm going to tell you this. My mum and dad did not spend any time with me. Now, I'm not blaming them, I'm not attacking them, but my mum and dad grew up under colonial rule. And under colonial rule, you're made to feel inferior to the white man. That's what my mum and dad felt. So when they came here, they believed that they owed something to the white man. They believed it. So did many West Indians. They thought, oh, we owed them because they've got us a job, we're here now. Now, my mum was very passive and so was my dad. So when the National Front or racist police officers were calling me a gollywog and a sambo, my mum couldn't face up to it. But because my mum had to work two jobs, she didn't have no time to spend with me. She didn't know what I was up to. She didn't know what I was doing. So when I got involved in gangs, she had no idea. Now, let me explain to you. Nothing has changed. We've got mums who don't spend any time with their kids whatsoever. We've got mums who don't work, who... who who's got issues of their own. The biggest problem in our community isn't racism. The biggest problem is us. We, as parents, are not parenting. And we want the government to parent our children. They did not bring the child into the world. We did. So when we make bad choices with men and we end up with a guy that ill-treats us and then leaves us with the kid on our own, that is not the government's fault. That's us. We've chose the wrong partner. And a lot of women are doing that over and over again, choosing the wrong partner. And before they know it, they're left with two or three children they have to raise on their own. That isn't a government issue. That is a parenting issue. And what I would say to us, when you look at this film, ask yourself this question. How is it that most of the kids involved in this lifestyle have no fathers? Ask yourself that question. Ask yourself why is it that in this film it portrayed most of the kids as having no father and coming from a single home background. Ask yourself, what is it about social media that we're not paying attention to? Because this is nothing to do with government. 
This is to do with us as parents. Where the government comes in is they have no vision for children. They have no future for the children. They have no jobs for the children. They have no, the, the school stuff is dated 150 years old. So the schools, what the, the, the school, um, the, the things they do in school um, are dated and needs to be up, updated and needs to be more relevant, which it's not. And the things the government should be doing, which is providing um, future for children, they don't provide, which I'm totally agree with. But the things we should be doing as parents, we are not doing. And I am not going to be the one sitting there blaming if my child goes out and commits a crime, I'm going to blame it on the government. I'm going to look at myself and ask myself, what did I do? Or what didn't I do to support my child so that my child can make good decisions, so that my child knows if he hangs out with that kind of group, he will get into trouble. Or if he does this, he will get into trouble. So Blue, I believe, educates parents on a big level. OK, we've dealt with some of the existential issues around the film and gang violence. What's really going out, going on on the streets out there? What what's go, what's your experience of where we are as a community? You said that we don't want to, we don't want to accept what's really going on out there. When you go to these trap houses and meet up with gang members and try to break it down to them, what do you see? Who are the gang members what are the gang members what are they up to well first and foremost most of the people in the trap house have been groomed by older guys at age 17 18 and the guys that are in the trap houses can be between the ages of 11 to 16 or so 17 okay so that's what we need to understand it's a very young group secondly it isn't just black kids there's all kinds of kids involved if you go to liverpool manchester sheffield and nottingham all the trap houses there are filled with mixed race kids, white kids. Um, if you go to Birmingham, it's Asian kids and black kids. If you go to London, it's black kids and Albanians and so forth. So it's a mixture of kids involved. The problem we have in the trap houses, where it can be quite dangerous, is that most of the people's houses that are used for making drugs and storing the weapons are elderly white guys who are aged between 29 and 47 years old who most probably have learning difficulties or have an alcohol problem or is a nitty, which is a person that is addicted to crack cocaine. So those are the three client groups that you will find who own these properties. The older guys, age 17 and above, befriend these guys, pay their rent for them so that they can have access to their property. Now, what they then do is they then recruit from that area. So, for instance, when you have London gang, most of them are black kids. They will go into an area like Wiltshire and they will recruit white kids to run the trap house on their behalf. OK, and so they will have a runner that will come from London to go to Wiltshire, supply them with drugs, get the money, come back down to London and so forth. And that's how it goes. So what you'll find when you go in the trap house will be a lot of white kids because Obviously, when you go into Wilshire, Gloucestershire, those areas, it's all white kids. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying black people don't live there, but it's a lot of white kids. Um, what you also find, it's a lot of middle class kids, because a lot of the middle class white kids 
are getting groomed because of the music. They're all listening to this music called drill. Drill music, which is actually produced and emceed by a lot of black guys, um, is, is the most listened to music in the UK. Hip-hop is no longer the biggest thing, neither is Bashman. I mean, Bashman and Drill are most probably the biggest things these guys listen to. So if you go into Reading and you will listen, you, you speak to the average white guy, the average white guy aged between 10 and 21 most probably listens to drill music. And you'll find them listening to artists from London, maybe from Liverpool as well. So part of what I'm finding is that the um, the way these guys are working, they're far more systematic and they are absolutely brilliant. Now, a lot of people are not going to like the way I said that, but I have to admit, the way these gang members are working, they are brilliant. They're brilliant at recruiting. They're brilliant at finding the property. They're brilliant at making the drugs. They're brilliant at drug distribution. They are absolutely got it down pat. The only problem I have, well, not the only problem, the biggest problem I find is the age group of some of these guys, you know, 11 years old in a trap house. Most of the trap houses are dirty, really foul. Anything could happen to these young kids. Well, the other, the other big problem is that they may be good at business, but this is criminality we're talking yes, about. Yes, it, it is criminality. And, and a lot of young kids are ending up dead as a result, either, either from knife uh, attacks, knife stabbings, or even from being shot dead. Now, where do they get the guns from? And how young are these kids of the guns? Oh uh, no, no. We've got we had a, a gang that ran a trap house in Liverpool, Croxteth, and they were eleven, ten and nine years old. So um you know, the age group is young and the guy that was running the trap house, he was eleven, he had a nine millimeter gun. Guns are easy. See the problem in the UK is they they've got this myth that you can't get guns. That is rubbish. We got guns when we were young. So that's a load of rubbish. And that was in the seventies and eighties. That is so much rubbish. The problem with England and the problem with British society is we don't want to face the truth. We lie to ourselves. We've got white, poor white communities lying to themselves, black communities lie to themselves, and the government lies to themselves. And because we continue to lie to ourselves, that's why we can't fix the problem. The problem is we've got 10-year-olds who sell drugs in this country on behalf of older gang members. Are we facing the truth about that? No. We've got 11, 12, 13 or 14, 15-year-olds running trap houses. Are we facing the truth about that? No, we're not. We're still trying to make it sound like we've got it under control. The National Crime Agency, the NCA, do not know nothing about this and they claim to have it under control. They've got nothing under control. Just like they didn't have organised crime because Organised crime is at the centre of most of this because they're the ones that bring the drugs into the country. Oh, you don't find street gangs bringing drugs into the country. Organised crime. Who are the organised crime? The crime families. Who are the crime families? Well, the crime families used to be middle-aged white men aged between 30 and 60 years old. These white men have gone, went untouched for decades. Untouched. Untouched for decades. No one paid them any attention. Why? Because they were so busy focusing on in the 1980s on the Jamaican Yardies. They're so busy focused on the black gangs on the streets that no one focused their attention on the people who brought, who brought the drugs in. Because no street gang has got the mechanism to bring drugs in. 
No street gang has got the mechanism to distribute guns. The only people that can do it are organised crime families. And they're not black. They're white. Now, we've got a new version of organised crime families, the Albanians, the Turkish and the Russian mafia. These guys are now on the scene. These guys are the ones people need to be looking at. They're the ones supplying the guns. They're the ones who are bringing in the drugs. And if you can look at that and start dealing with that, then the crisis on the streets would, would, would lessen. But people are so busy looking at street gangs all the time that they don't realise these guys are at the, they're at the end of the food chain. They're nothing. The guys that you need are at the beginning of the food chain. These are the guys you should be looking at, organised criminal networks. The problem we are having is that the NCA, um, the Serious Crime Squad, the government and everyone is so busy on young men that these guys go unnoticed all the time. I can take you right now to a guy who runs one of the biggest organised crime family and he lives in a three, four pound, three million pound house out in Essex. No one touches him. No one goes to him. So people need to wake up. So when I talk about what do I see, I go into places that most workers don't go, where the place smells, where we got some little 11, 12-year-old making cocaine, wrapping up stuff, getting out there to sell. That's what I see on a daily basis. Not every single day, but on the most of the time I go out. I'm going out today to one of these places. And yet, most of the people, agencies, wants to give people the impression that we've got this under control. We've got nothing under control. And the reason why is because none of us are taking it to the level where we are addressing it from our own perspective. We all want to blame someone. And we're very good at blaming everyone else but ourselves. Well, let's let's face it. And we, we've been in this thing for some time. At the end of the day, uh, and I'm not making a... a, a you know, point about this other than to say history teaches us that the black youths are going to get the blame at the end of the day. But what's different about you, Sheld? I mean, you say that you're going off later on today. You're going off in a minute. This is why we've got to wrap up this conversation. You're going off in a minute to do your job, to do your uh, work with trying to get kids off the gang team. What's different about you? Because I've known you since you were in short trousers. Let's be real now. When you were when you were a rapper yourself, um, I, I know you were very influenced by the late Bernie Grant MP for Tottenham, um, and he showed you one or two insights. You know, and I'm asking this because if we know how you managed to transform your life, it might it might inform us as to how to transform other young people's lives. What's different about you, though? Because you you went from where you were. I, I remember one time I bumped into you at Carnival, and you and I just sat down at the curb watching the breeze go by on Labrick Grove, and we were talking oh, about... Oh, yeah, yeah. You remember that? And we were talking yeah. about the old-school sound systems, yeah, and we yeah, were naming yeah. all the sounds from one to yeah. the other to the other, etc. And And... You know, in those days, it seemed like even though there was a lot of hard times, even though there was a lot of difficulties, it did seem like we were family, you know, genuinely, you know, that you could relate to the next man's sound that came from Birmingham or Nottingham or, you know, even though we, we seem to be going through more hardships. You touched on it earlier about the sort of name calling that you were facing when you were younger 
from the police, etc. What What's different about you? Why are you prepared to go back into this thing to try and to try and do good, if you like, to be positive and turn kids around? Because one of the things I learned from Bernie Grant and Jesse Jackson, because um, Bernie Grant took me to America to meet Jesse Jackson, one of the things I learned was I grew up in a time of hostility where I couldn't walk the streets in the early 70s. I was going to be attacked by the National Front, skinheads, or attacked by racist police officers. And for a young black man, and not for just for me, for many black men, we thought that all white people were racist. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't differentiate between any of them. We just thought that all white people were racist. But when I met Bernie Grant and Jesse Jackson, I began to realise that not all white people were racist. And it is, it's when you've got a narrow view of life, you begin to think narrow. And it wasn't until when I met Bernie Grant and um, Jesse Jackson that I began to realise that, hang on a minute, my perception of white people is a bit warped because it was based on them being aggressive to me. And I didn't look at it like an individual thing. I looked at it like all white people were the same, which was not true. So with that learning, I began to sat down and listen to Bernie Grant and Jesse Jackson more about... Um, what is it about me as a black man um, to, to what can I do to, to, to make a difference in society and to make it in society um, and to get rid of these thoughts that I had that all white people were racist. And they, 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 they began to break down certain things for me and began to break down that part of life is that we don't do soul searching. And that, I'll be honest with you, but I'm so shocked. And when he began to break down soul searching, he was talking about looking within yourself. That's when I began to realise that part of the problem in the world is that we don't look within ourselves. We blame, which is what I was doing, even though some people will say you was justified, you know, a police officer calling you a gollywog or a sambo or a coon, you know, it, you, you, you were justified. But what he, Bernie Grant and Jesse Jackson were saying is that in order to change the way you think you have to do some soul searching in order to reflect on who you are and are you going to allow circumstances to actually tell you what you're going to be so in other words what jesse jackson and bernie grant were saying is am i going to allow racism to dictate to me that i can't make it in society because i'm black or am i going to determine my own future and that's when i began to realize that you know what? I don't want racism to determine what I can and cannot do. You know, like Bernie Grant, he became an MP. Like Jesse Jackson, he became well known. They didn't allow racism to stop them. So I thought, well, you know what? I need to go back into my community and help young people to understand that your circumstances doesn't have to define you. And so, but I had to change myself first. I couldn't go in there. I had to show them proof. That's why I went back to university. That's why I started to study. That's why I got my diplomas and my degrees. So, because I wanted to show them that it can, you don't have to allow your environment, absent fathers, racism, violence, gangs, domestic violence, you don't need to allow that to define you. So what I tend to do when I go into these trap houses is to try and explain to them that you don't need, you don't need to, you don't need to allow your environment to dictate what you're going to be. You can change that. But the only reason you can change that is if you've got somebody like me giving back. Because somebody like me, or Rapman, or Stormzy, 
who have gone through certain things in life are the ones best placed to go into these places. We're the ones best placed because we can go there and show them the evidence. I can show them my degree. I can show them that, listen, if a black man like me, who wasn't sure whether I was going to make it 200 yards down the road without the National Front coming to beat me up or the police officers calling me a name, if I can turn that around and be somebody, get married, have kids, um, um, become a consultant, get qualified, then you can do the same and much, much, much more. So my thing when I go into these trap houses like where I'm going now is I don't go in there to say, don't do this or don't do that. I'll go in there and say, listen, this is where I came from. I came from the gully. I came from the road. I understand what it means not to, not to, um, not to feel a part of society. I know what it means. And that's why I say to them, that's why I feel when I go into, that's what's different about what I do, because I've got a credible story. I'm credible. Most gang members relate to me. In fact, most gang members like me, even though, even though they don't know me. Like when I, when I go to, I'm going to Guildford now, they don't know who I am really, but they sit down and reason. So that's what, that's what it's about. It's about being credible. It's about being relatable. It's about being passionate and it's about being true to yourself. Gang Zion was set up many years ago um, to interface with gang members. The, um, in 2007, um, there was several murders that happened in one weekend alone in London. And um, before that, I was already engaging gang members, but not under any organisation or anything like that, or no pro or no programs, just me going around the country engaging gang members. But when that incident happened in 2007, I realised that I need to formalise what I'm doing and to obviously um, have more people on board. And so what we realised was that um, there was not people actually engaging gang members, um, which is a big difference from engaging young people in general. So because we were, I was a former gang member and most of the people that I, 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 I kind of known was all former gang members, we decided to, um, I decided to form an organisation called Gangs Line that would actually go to where the gang members are on their estates, to the trap houses and sit and reason with them. So that's what Gangs Line started with first. Then we developed into a phone line service where we would, um, have a phone line for gang members to ring out or for their parents to ring for to them to get advice about what to do how to avoid certain things in their lives because obviously a lot of people were being shot so um that's what we started to do and then our names began to get around um different boroughs heard about us and started to ask us to mentor young people coming through the criminal justice system who were gang members or um, at the time as well. So we then be developed a mentoring program where we mentored gang members. And from there, it just got grew. We started going into schools. And then the biggest thing turnaround was the government then asked me to train government workers, frontline workers on understanding gang mentality, which was the first in the country. So we developed a training program. So what Gangzine is today, was far different from how we started. We are now a consultancy and training company that specialise in going into schools um, and delivering gangs prevention workshop. 
and delivering training to um, all professionals, um, all community members, all faith groups, um, anyone that engages with a child from the age of seven to 35. Um, we go into prisons and stuff like that. So uh, what's unique about our service is that most of my uh, people that I employ, um, whether it be full-time or part-time, are former gang members. So it gives us that credibility on the streets with people. Calling out to all mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers. This is a universal cry. Save us.